Behind every business card, job title and company is a human being that has values, interests, motivations and emotions. Some businesses understand this, however there are still lots of businesses out there that miss the human side of marketing and focus too much on the broadcasting side of B2B. Brian Kramer is an incredibly inspirational marketer who's on a mission to humanize marketing. He's a best-selling author of There's No B2B or B2C, It's All H2H, Human to Human, and Shareology. And he joins me on this podcast to share his experience, insights, and strategies around how you can be more human in your marketing so that you can win and retain more clients and really stand out in your industry. My name is Charlie Wyman, and I'm the host of the Curiosity Key podcast, where I interview other curious thinking advocates that believe that curiosity really is one of our biggest assets and can be used as a huge force for good and strategy for successful business and marketing. There's so much to learn from Brian in this episode, so be sure to take notes. But if you're on the move, check out the show notes on my website. Just visit charliewyman.com forward slash podcast. Let's get stuck in, shall we? Hello and welcome to this episode of the Curiosity Key podcast and I'm joined with Brian Kramer. Welcome Brian, thank you so much for joining me. Hello, thank you so much for having me. Well, it's absolutely brilliant because it's nice to have somebody from over the pond on this podcast and also somebody that is just as geeky and excited about marketing as I am, especially when it comes to marketing from a um, human to human basis and human to human marketing is your thing, isn't it? It is. It's, it's kind of like, uh, it's like in my soul. <laughs> I love that. I love that. And I wanted to, to bring you on, but first I think it's important. Do you want to just introduce yourself and tell everybody a little bit about you and why human to human is part of your soul? Sure. I, um, let's see, I don't know how far back you want me to go, but my background is in marketing Um, I was born and bred in the agency side. Um, When I graduated college, I started as an account executive in um, an agency here in San Jose, California, in the United States. And I started to uh, help and understand people and companies how to be more uh, actually digital, but also human and, and digital. So it was always with a human design on what was at back then uh, websites. So helping, um, it, helping agencies to create more, uh, more digital experiences. And that became my thing. And I got hired out of college and into several agencies to help them migrate their traditional, because back then it was really radio, television, and billboards. And websites were just starting. So it was kind of cool that I got to be a part of the digital experience of the migration of this new thing. It was almost like when social media first came on board, it was the same thing for websites. And so that was my job. And uh, that actually, that's a long story how I got ended up getting into that because I was in a public relations and communications major with a Japanese degree, which had nothing to do with websites. So whole different story there. But I ended up loving it and creating this relationship with digital, but always wondered what was going to happen when digital took over the world. And at a certain point, I ended up uh, creating a, a job almost for myself, starting a digital agency within the umbrella of a larger group called um, 
uh, SK Consulting, Shillian Kenyon. It was like originally an accounting firm, but we started the consulting side and we grew that to 75 people. And then eventually it sold uh, after four years, I believe. And I was not sure what I was going to do next. And at that point, I met my then girlfriend, now wife, and I met her at an advertising conference in Washington, D.C. And that is that took on its own own life. We did long distance, two years. Finally, California beat out where she was from, which was Michigan, and she moved to California. And we started because she she owned her own design firm, so we started together a an agency, and we launched that and created an agency and did very well at times, not so well at certain times, um, as is the life of an agency. And ran that for seventeen years up until three years ago where we both decided to uh, exit the agency, not our marriage, we're still married, uh, but we, st- we decided to leave the agency life because of various reasons, one of which I got burned out. I was speaking all the time. I'd written a couple books and I was really enjoying the coaching side of what I was doing and she was enjoying the CMO side. So we just both decided to do new things that really gave us joy and we did and here we are. So Yeah, that's kind of my whole, that's the whole background. The HGH thing came on the scene, I think it was like six years ago now, um, although we've been talking about it since 2001 in our agency, and I had been speaking about it over the years, but then six years ago, it really became something meaningful to more people that were listening to it. And as I spoke it on stage or stages, it took off, especially on one stage in particular, People took a picture of the background behind me, which was the exact slide of what everybody uh, sees online. And they they shared it out on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn, and it got over 120 million impressions in 24 hours. And so we started to think about what we how we were going to answer all of these people that were coming out of saying, what does this mean? What does this mean? How do we do this? How do we do more of this? What happens when technology takes over? And um, and so we took everything that I've been writing about already, thank God, um, cause I was an avid blogger and I was blogging about that stuff. So we pulled it together and, and, and w- my wife and I, and we, uh, built a book around it and launched it, self-published it. And it did really well because of the timing of everything, which put me up more on stage. And I was then on stage, like on average, like 200 days a year. And that's what, um, that's what burned me out a little bit. I was just away so much that I needed to. I was running the agency and speaking, um, and it was just too much. So I pulled back from that and live a much more, well, especially with COVID now, but live a lot, much more um, ser- serene, you know, joyful life. Yeah. That's quite intense. Two hundred days a year plus running an agency. Yeah, uh, I'm. Yeah. I'm not surprised, but glad that you're now doing something that lights you up and and you enjoy, which is mm. wonderful. And the. I mean, the, the concept of H2H, I think, is really important, especially with a lot of the people that I work with and, and talk to. And I think a lot of people get, because I don't come from a marketing background, um, I always got very dissuaded by uh, a lot of marketing agencies and marketing people because they were always talking in, <laughs> so it, it may as well have been in Klingon for all I knew, because it was all about the acronyms and things. And I was just like, uh, what, what, what? And it's just like, why can't we just talk to other human beings? You know, everybody's there passing around business cards, but there's a person behind the job title. There's always a person behind the company and behind the business card. And, you know, you follow the likes of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and Elon Musk and, you know, all of these people who've 
you know, you always think of them just as much as you would think of the business. So for me, like the whole concept of H2H, human to human is like a no brainer. But the more people you start speaking about it, it's like, oh, well, no, tell me more. I want to to understand it, yeah. which is why I, I thought, you know, you, you'd be an absolutely perfect guest um, here on this podcast. So based on your experience of implementing an H2H strategy, what have been the key things that have made the biggest differences? Oh, my gosh, there are so many different variables that you can put in place that makes it a more human um, strategy. The The biggest thing is that if you follow the structure, which, which I also outlined in the book, but the biggest thing is that you want to structure it so that it connects with you as if you were connecting with a human. And what I mean by that is businesses, we buy from people, we don't buy from businesses. And yet when we buy from businesses, they act like businesses, not like people. Um, they're trying to be perfect. They're trying to be overly complex. They're trying to be um, all things to all people. They're not very clear. They're not very connected. They don't really understand that people really just want to talk to another human being. Um, it's getting worse and worse now since I even wrote the book. Now it's like we have automation and we have bots and we have you know, dial 1-800 to talk to, you know, to talk to six different people before you finally talk to the person you need to, um, you know, customer services is, is certainly farther apart, not closer together. And now even there's virtual reality, automation, um, augmented reality, the list goes on. So technology is starting to really take over. And the question still is, how do we get closer together? How do we become more connected in to that person that you do want to buy from? And to do that, you, uh, there's, a, there's three pillars that we walk through, which is simplicity, empathy, and imperfection. Um, sim sim and simplicity, is, like if you were to think of, um, uh, Charlie, if you were to think of simplicity, what would you, um, what, what brand sticks out in your mind? Well, I, having spent the whole day trying to get a new um, MacBook Pro to work, Apple, I think, would be the biggest brand that I could think of in terms of uh, the, the, their simple approach for me. Brilliant, yeah. So you're not you're not off there. Most people say Apple, and Apple is a great example because when you look at the navigation of their site or you think about the products, you can probably name off all the products that they sell without having to go to their website. When you look at like the way that they design things, it's very simple, um, very elegant, but simple. Um, so I, I think that's great. Now, if we were to look at empathy, what what brand do you believe embraces empathy for its customer? That's a much harder question, I think. Um... It could be something local or global. We don't need to um, even know the brand. Something that touches you. I think, that, well, the thing for me, uh, I do a lot of work with an organization called B1G1. It's all around buy one, give one, using business Ooh. as a force for good. And for me, well, my whole ethos is around purpose-driven business and yeah. really tapping into that empathy. So it, I think if I start thinking of other businesses, it's really difficult because I don't think that they're... I, do, I think the point is that businesses that are very empathetic towards their customers don't market the fact that they're empathetic to their businesses, which is why I struggle to think of somebody as a, as a prime ideal. Yeah, that's a great, great one. I love that. 
So yeah, purpose-driven businesses are are per perfect for empathy-driven um, businesses. And who doesn't want to work with a purpose-driven business when they they mean they're so meaningful? Um, you know, I've 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 actually heard before like um, Dove, like the Dove soap bar, as another um, example because they talk about um, you know how much empathy you know the, they have for the customer. Um, and also empathy, uh, like from Amazon, I, I, believe it or not, uh, Amazon will, you know, you think it's such a large enterprise and it's so disconnected, but yet you can get on the phone with somebody surprisingly, or on a chat with somebody surprisingly pretty quickly. And they take care of your problem more nine times out of 10 and with no questions asked, and they will return everything a hundred percent which is not like every other store out there. They've got a lot of empathy around what the customer goes through in order to do what they do. So now we're going to go with imperfection. Who do you believe embraces imperfection? So here's the thing. Every company is imperfect because perfect doesn't exist as a word, as a context, but who do you, but the company that embraces imperfection, and I'm buying time by, by the way, while you're thinking about who you're going to say, <laughs> um, but whoever embraces imperfection is the company that we lean toward it's it's interesting that you say that there's um quite a few companies especially people that i interview on this podcast that do embrace imperfection because i think it's that kind of concept you don't have to get it perfect you do need to just put it out there and i think a lot of people wait too long to put either themselves or their product or their service out there because they need to get it perfect and i know that i I embraced that when I started out because I'd launched a, an online course, it's like a business accelerator to help people use LinkedIn more effectively. And I think the first online course I'd ever done was, it was July, 2017. And I launched my course in January, 2018, but I did it very much as a beta. So I sold it before I got people, I, I sold places on it before I created it. And then I just ran it as live workshops. And I think from my own personal experience, I was able to develop a much better product because I used the feedback from the first people that went through it to then develop the, like what I have available right now that people can just kind of go through. Um, but then also, I've, you know, worked with quite a few other companies that, um, especially tech startups that launch an MVP and they're not afraid to just put the, you know, sort of the raw and the dirty version out there just to kind of get that feedback from their clients and then build it as they go. And I can wheel off quite a few names in that case. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, th there's a lot of, um, us, especially right now with everything that everybody's going through, we were talking about this before we even got on the, the imperfection of, you know, dogs barking, uh, in the background as we're all home or, um, the, uh, uh, leaf blowers or, you know, whatever's going to interrupt us now is almost a little bit more, maybe even a lot more acceptable than it was six months ago, because we all are a little bit more, both imperfect and empathetic towards what we're all going through. And so it makes a big difference when you think now every company is, they've put, you know, every company has individuals, all of their individuals, at least for now working at home, which has totally humanized business across the world. We are all like at our most human core today than we were six months ago because of what happened, which is kind of fascinating. And so, um, so when you take a look at all three of those, um, uh, simplicity, 
empathy and imperfection. And you think about a company that that embraces all three of those. And I'm not going to put you on the spot to try and guess that because it's really, really super hard. But the unless one comes up, you can blurt it out, no problem. But um, there are a lot of companies that are one of those, two of those, but not three of those, or they're just one of the three. Um, and so it's really hard for companies and they don't practice wanting and trying to be human. They practice wanting and trying to scale. And so my whole thing is put both in place. Yes, scale, but also put in the human tendencies and the human nature of what it is that we actually buy and run that concurrently with everything. So what, what advice would you give to somebody that's just starting out on their journey? So they're ready to embrace a more H2H approach and they want to be more empathetic. They're vaguely okay with being a bit more um, imperfect and uh, want to understand a little bit more about their customers. What advice would you give to them to get hold of that data and get hold of that information? Well, I think that the data is actually quite simple. It's it's kind of taking a look at what you're already doing and looking for the human moments. So if you were to walk over to a whiteboard and scratch out the the customer journey, just a very simple customer journey, if, if you don't have to make it too intense at first, and just to get a, a good sense as to where everything exists, where does the customer enter and where does the customer buy your product? Where does the customer get their customer experience, their uh, customer support? Um, where, you know, at what points are all the different touch points? And then where do they exit and why do they exit? And what is it that they exit for? Why aren't they coming back? Like these are the questions, like the powerful questions that you need to think of to ask yourself everything that goes into a customer journey. And as you're looking at the customer journey, then all of a sudden you're thinking, well, where are the human moments? Where do they exist? Why aren't there more of them? If we had more of them, then where would they exist? And how could we keep them in these inside of these um, moments that might create more moments where they're going to enjoy being a part of the brand because they just got left and touched so deeply by something that we did that was human, that was a little bit above and beyond what we're used to. And we all talk about that. Like we all have, if I were to ask you about a brand that really touches your heart, it's usually nine times out of 10, it's something that they did that was above and beyond. And it was a human moment. It was like that one moment where they just, they go, oh, can you believe this? And you're telling your friend about it. And you're like, this brand sent me out of the blue, this thing. And it just completely like, how did they even know that I like candles? And they sent me a candle on my birthday and it was so wonderful. And it just said thinking of you and they didn't ask me or sell me anything. It was just a touching moment. And so when you, when you, when you do things like that and you think about other people and you, 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 you look at the customer journey in that perspective, then that's where you start to formulate the question of what data you need to look at, not where, not um, upfront. Can we look at all the data? Cause you, there's too much data, like data, 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 data. Like there's so much data we can, we could, we could kill ourselves. But if we come up with the right questions and ask ourselves, what data do we need to look at to answer the question of all the different human touch points and how to make those better then that, that reverses, it reverse engineers exactly the pinpoints, the needles in the haystack where we can make a bigger difference. 
Brilliant. And I'm loving the fact that it's all about being curious and asking those good questions. So looking at what you're already doing and being curious as to why people are progressing to the next step, why people are dropping out, what people love about it. And the company that I worked for last, who was, um, they were really good at that. And um, I can't remember now what they used to describe it as. It was like a wow feeling. And they used to kind of challenge their customer service team, especially to think of different ways of wowing their customer. And it came from like, you know, right down from sending a birth birthday card to um, one of their kind of key account managers or sending an anniversary card or a wedding uh, present or a gift or something like that and it yeah it was those things that really did make a difference and it was nice to nice to be part of a company that did prioritize that yeah that that makes a difference when you are a part of something that takes a takes a stake in the ground and says this is where we're heading uh and and it really like you said it really made a difference for you as an employee of the company. So now it's, now it's touching an even, even greater. Um, it's not just about the customer. Cause when you, when you look at a human brand, a human brand is, is, is how you look at yourself from an inside out perspective. And the same thing for personal brands. When we, when we look, just look at ourselves, right? You and I are entrepreneurs. We run our own business. Our business is us. Uh, when we are out talking, the, they're talking to business because we are the business and so that is in itself the most human brand that you can be which makes us actually more powerful than than a business brand because they have to work harder at it than a small business does so small businesses when they say they they're like oh we don't have enough resources we don't have power we don't have enough this this and this um i start to call uh you know call them on it because i'm like you have five people in your organization, you can, you are way more nimble and you can do more human activities than a big, big business can. And you will come off, uh, looking much better. So, you know, it's in a, it, I think they have a leg up when, you know, small businesses think, you know, we can't compete quite the opposite. Now you can't do everything in the world, but you can make a bigger difference because you can get to speed faster. You can do things faster. You can pick one thing that you want to you want to do and do that one thing and do it really well, versus um, you know an enterprise. I, I'm absolutely thrilled that you brought all of that up because there's a few questions and points that I wanted to to talk to you about that because I think. One of the things that I train people on, especially when it comes to LinkedIn, is um, employee advocacy. So how can you get your employees, or rather, how can you lift up your employees so that they can promote their own brilliance, which then in turn promotes the company's brilliance? And I think I've definitely been so fortunate in my career that I've worked for sort of a lot of small businesses that have pretty much let me do whatever I want and um, be able to promote the brand and promote the company through the people that work within it, because that's where you know the, big, the biggest assets of any company are your team and your people. Um, but I did want to pick up on, on what you were talking about in terms of personal branding, because one of the things that comes up quite a lot when I speak to people is if we want to be more human and we want to develop a personal brand, but we're quite um, introverted or we don't necessarily want to bring our personal lives into it, how do you get that mix of being human, putting yourself out there without having to then bear all, if essentially? Um, without say the last part without going without, all. Or like without bearing all. So like without sort of sharing every inch of your life without sharing your life. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, well, everybody's line is different. And so we all have to explore what that line is for you or for me. There's no, 
um, the, there's no way that that I think we could come up with something prescriptive across the board. But what I um, when I wrote Shareology, what I I defined how to sh- how we share in what, where, when, how, and why people and brand share. And the thing that I came up with the most for why everybody shares when I took 250 interviews and I boiled them down into transcripts and then I ran them through one of those cloud generators. And the cloud generator told me what words boiled up for the question to um, why do you, why do people share? And the one word that like was blown up over everything else was connection. And so why people share comes down to connection and connection is that one common denominator that brings us all together. It's, you know, when COVID hit, we all scrambled because we had connection taken away from us. Um, We weren't able to talk with people, be around people, hug people, create more camaraderie. Um, It was like as if we just had one of our, our human needs, our deepest need as a human taken away from us. And we didn't know what to do with that. Um, now it's starting to become a little bit more normalized. Well, the same thing applies to your own personal brand. Like, how do you share? How do you create that within a company from an employee advocacy standpoint? What can you expect of someone that's going to share on behalf of your brand? Well, first and for- foremost, I don't believe in going after everybody at the company and saying, here's what we're going to do. We're going to share everything and you guys need to go at it because there are different personalities and there's different types of people out there that don't share equally. Uh, We can't expect everybody to do the same things. Um, Now, also in in, uh, Shareology, I broke down the six different personality types uh, for how they share. And so you don't want to go to somebody who is, you know... um, a certain type, an archetype, and ask them to share when that's not within their thinking, that they're going to be more apt to being more personable and private than they are on social. Um, so the, they're just real quickly, the six types are altruist, early adapter, or sorry, early adopter, connector, careerist, boomerang, and selective. And so the altruist shares from their heart um, they are constantly like emanating from their heart. They want to share about others. They're, they're shining a light on other people. They're, it's almost like an altruist is like, you see them all over the place. They're just so kind hearted and just, they just want to see good things happen. Um, an early adopter takes on something new, uh, learns it right as soon as it comes out and then turns around and teaches it to other people. Um, we see that on social media all the time too. Um, Connectors are people who like to connect with two or more people. You see a lot of them on LinkedIn Um, and anybody who just says, oh, I know the perfect person for you. And they like to connect that person. That's a connector. That's me. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You kind of lit up on that one. Um, And um, uh, careerist is a person who uh, loves to learn, but also loves to share information that you might see them more as uh, uh, somebody who loves to educate others, they're educators, they're teachers. Um, and then also they're writers, they're bloggers and they're content creators. So that's a careerist. A boomerang is somebody who asks a question of another person and, um, then waits for the answer so that they can ask another question and waits for the answer so they can ask another question. So you might see this person as like a community manager. Uh, they love to manage 
communities to make sure everybody is participating and having a good time and feeling like they're belonging. You also can see a, uh, a there's a second definition to it, which, which is a troll because a troll likes to ask a question so that they can pounce back on you. Um, we'll, we'll stay on the lighter side of boomerang that for, for today's show. And then the selective is someone who I described actually at the very beginning. And that's somebody who's rather private. They would rather share behind the scenes. They would rather create um, one-to-one messages, human-to-human messages. They'd rather be in person uh, than online. Uh, they'd pick up the phone and call you, or they're just discreet. Maybe they read everything. They're a little bit more voyeuristic, although I think we all are. Um, it's I forget what it was. It was like four years ago. The stat is is totally outdated, but 86% of all people were you know voyeurs of information and, and never commented which is rather high. Um, I'm sure that stat's different today, but uh, still for purposes of you know the example, it's, it's a rather high thing. Now we can all be all these things. We are all these archetypes and more. We just tend to lean towards one a little bit more than we do the rest. And actually I have a link uh, I can share with you if you want to share it in the show notes. And it actually has an algorithm built in. So it teaches you exactly which one you are and then it has a, there's no selling in it. It just walks, it shares a sequence of emails on how to, how to then take that archetype and use it to your advantage. Like, how do you, okay, now you know you're a connector. What do I do with this? How do I, how do I create more from that? So what, to answer your beginning question in advocacy, you want to learn more about everyone in your company and figure out like what, where are they coming from? What type are they? What archetype are they? And then how do we enhance that? Because if you're, you, if you're helping them to be better at what they already love, then they're going to be more apt to share and more apt to really be out in front of the company as long as you do that. Now, the last thing I'll say is a sele- don't count a selective out. Uh, selective, the, and it, for anybody listening, if, and you think you're, you're selective, you're actually one of the most important people in this archetype chain because no one ever hears from you. And so when they do hear from you, it's as if like, like, like a, the golden trophy got lowered onto the earth because no one hears from you. So all of a sudden everyone's like, well, gosh, if Charlie said it, then it must be true because Charlie never says anything and we must go buy this thing right away because we never hear from, from her. So it's, um, it's actually in your best uh, interest to actually look at who are the um who are the selectives and how do we get more of them to participate and earn their trust because if they say one thing man we have earned some great trust out of this so it's really looking at all these different pieces of who humans really are and saying okay how can we help them become better within who they already are and that's not just a great marketing tip that's a great leadership trick you know, to mm. understand who the, you know, the, the people in your organization are, how they work, what makes them tick, what motivates them. And the more you can do that, the more you can help them be more brilliant at what they love. And the more then that will also help you elevate your brand and what it is that you're doing. Exactly. For sure. Exactly. I love that. And I'm like, I will definitely share the link in the show notes for that resource that you're you're talking about, because I think I, I will have a play with that. I'm always interested in archetypes and uh, anything to do with an algorithm as well, because I'm just a major geek. <laughs> um, yeah, go for it. So uh, on, on that, because we talk a lot about um, people and, and sharing and things, 
especially on LinkedIn, the majority of people that have come to me across lots of different industries in terms of um, customers and clients, they've not been the people that are likely to like and comment and share things. They've been the people in the background or what I call like the lurkers that are consuming the content that you put out. They're looking at what it is that you're doing. They're following you and just kind of like biding their time until they then want to send that inquiry and then then work with you. Um what would you say to to businesses that their market is generally the lurker type? So they're, they're trying to get their stuff shared, but they're targeting a market that are, are much more reluctant to share and get involved socially or digitally rather. Well, so you can't, as they, the old saying goes, you can't boil an ocean, uh, especially as a small business with, you know, less resources than, like I said before, an enterprise does what you can do is you can you can go to who your super fans are and the ones that are already talking about you or they're already creating um uh, they're they're ready to create they maybe they're already doing that there's there's typically in every in every audience um and now we're talking about kind of like influence uh, or influencers um even if they're customers they are influencers of your business and so what you want to do is you want to first and foremost, go to the top 1%. If you're depending upon how big your clientele is, maybe it's the top 10% and, um, and put, put them into a, a group, an influence group and invite them in and create a special unique opportunity for them to participate in something that maybe your other customers don't yet. Um, they will, but not yet because they're not super fans yet. So you take your super fans and you put them in this bucket and you invite them in and you give them a behind the scenes look and you tell them what's coming and what you're practicing and you kind of make them a little bit of your board of advisors and you you also give them things that are are happening and then you also help them in their business ask them what's going on in their business how can we help you more how can we share more of your content um that kind of stuff as you're starting to build this little super pocket of of influencers, then, then you're going to find all these opportunities for bringing them together and creating maybe kind of like a brain trust. It could be like a little, uh, Facebook group or a LinkedIn group or, um, a, 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 a private group of some kind where everybody can meet each other. And now you're creating connection between each other, not just you and, and the customer, which is total, which is very vital because people want to, because remember, people want to connect with other people. So you're bringing them together. They're connecting with other people. You're building this thing. And now when something happens, they're more likely to share your stuff because you just gave them so much value. Now, what also will happen is your other customers will be saying, wait, what's this over here? And how do I become a part of that? And you can say, well, I'm happy to have you on board. We'd love to have you in this group where you can be a part of seeing behind the scenes will also help you. Here's the plan. Here's what we expect. You lay down the rules and, and, and they say yes or no, and boom, you've got it. That's the influencer level. There's many layers below that, that I talk about on different levels of influence and how it, how it functions, but that's the best way to start. On the subject of influences, do you find the, um, I don't know how new it is, but like, I've always been talking about influencers and sometimes I cringe when I start talking about influencers because people automatically think of sort of young kids on YouTube, um, unboxing toys or, you know, sort of 
people on Instagram that are um, sort of being paid to promote other things, which is kind of a very a different type of an influencer. Like, uh, how do you see the definition of that word changing? Yeah, the word kind of sucks, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah. It. I totally agree with you. And I cringe when I say it myself, but it's the only word we have to work with. I've, ah, I've, I was hoping I've, that you were going to come with a silver bullet and you'd be like, no, there is a new term for this and it's going to work so much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, I wish it. So an influencer, when I first started, we, we had our agency and we were uh, building influencers for bigger companies like Netflix and IBM and um, yeah, companies like that. And uh, and, and the Instagram influencers didn't exist. So I'd like to say that we had it first and they stole our definition. So maybe there's that and we can just, we could be with that, but, um, influence, it is a, um, you, so you can call it other things. Like when, when we, when we did an, uh, the first influencer IBM program, it was called, um, we called them futurists. And they came in, we, we brought them in to talk about a new way to work. It, this was one pocket of IBM that was looking at how, how future business was going to function. And we mixed it up and we brought 30 people that were on their way up. They hadn't quite become influencers yet. And what I mean by that is they, were, they're, they weren't like um, their, their content and their persona and their personal brand wasn't functioning at a level that you might think was there, but, but they were on their way there. And you, we had an algorithm uh, using the IBM tool, uh, the, their AI tool to tell us who those people were, which is kind of cool. Um, so we put those people in, we invited them in, we did it in a very VIP way. We actually flew them in. Now this, the, we had a budget to do this with IBM. You don't have to do this with, with everyone, unless you're a local business, you can bring people in to the store and throw a catered lunch or, you know, or, or nowadays send, um, here's another one, uh, send catered food to everybody's house and throw a zoom party for lunch and, uh, do something like that. I, I I've been wanting to do that. Anyway, <laughs> we brought them in and. And then we designed the day so they were in charge of the day. So they created what the new way to work was through an organized workshop of brainstorming and whiteboarding. And we had caricature artists and we had masseuses in the corner and we had all kinds of stuff like going off because we wanted to actually recreate what a new, a new way to work was feeling like around this intense brainstorm of, of that and make it fun. Um, and then we caught it all on video and we had all this like really cool content to use that they created. So that, so the influencers created the content, we captured it and then we uh, wrote up eBooks and all kinds of actual content out of that day. And it was their shared content. So now they were more apt, they were more apt to share it. And so when the content came out, we had six to 12 months of content and that content was in partnership with each individual. Um, so I, yeah, you hear IBM as I'm talking through this, but this is something that you can do at any level. It really doesn't have to be an IBM. It can be just bringing people together to create something. And then everybody is more, more likely to share that thing because they created it together. It's so true. And you, yeah, I mean, I've never been able to get access to anywhere near the type of budgets that would be required to do anything like that. <laughs> but over the years, I, I think I, um, have you come across the LinkedIn local um, movement? 
Oh no, tell me more about it. So LinkedIn Local uh, was founded by uh, a woman in the US, a woman in the UK and a guy, in, no, was it a guy in Australia? Anyway, it was, it was founded with um, somebody in Australia, somebody in London, somebody in the US. And it was a global movement with the purpose of bringing people together and connecting people because there was a lot of chatter going on that LinkedIn was a bit stale. It was a bit of an old boys club and, and there wasn't the connection there that maybe was found on other platforms or in other groups. So slowly, like this kind of concept of doing in-person meetups for people that were on LinkedIn that didn't know each other personally kind of got together in a room and had a networking event without the formal pitching and everything else and it kind of just went a bit mental and in a very short period of time more and more people in more and more cities around the world started adopting this LinkedIn local um, meetup style of networking event. Uh, I was one of those people because I was like there's nothing in Nottingham this is a great idea so let's get something going but you know, I didn't spend a penny on that. And, you know, we charged people to come to the meetings, but we gave it all away to charity because we wanted to do something good. And it was all about trying to get people to uh, connect with the person behind the job title, the business card or the LinkedIn profile. Mm. Because like, I think it's like a natural uh, need. As soon as you go to a networking event, you just want to tell people like, you know, what you do, what your business is, rather than actually finding out who the person is that you're talking to or who you are as a person and what motivates you to do what it is. Um, so that was one example. I mean, that was all essentially, you can do all of that for free and you're connecting people. But then also on the flip side, um, one of the most fun events that I ever run was at a gold mine and it was not a gold mine, sorry, a platinum mine. It was one of our clients at the time um, in South Africa. So they were our best client. And we managed to negotiate with them that they would do a tour of this mine to show the installations of the things that we'd shown. So we like booked the hotel that was nearby and we did a user conference and we invited everybody while well, it was in South Africa, but we did have people that traveled to come and join us. So it was very low budget, but really, really effective because it was so unusual and so personalized. And it was, you know, it worked really, really well. So yeah, on your point, you can do it on a very low budget. You know, you don't need mega bucks to be able to achieve this. Yeah, what a great shared experience. Yeah. What I what I love about that is how uh how how you accentuated the point of bringing people together for a common good and allowing everyone and giving everyone a platform to create together. So that they they could feel that sense of pride and ownership over what was created and then when they walk out, they wanted to share it, I'm sure with other people and say this was magnificent. This is so cool for us. How do we do more of this? And now you've got influencers. That's that's really the definition of an influencer. And it's like you kind of you're bringing people into into the conversation. So I think a lot of, especially me, because I wasn't a trained marketer, I always thought that marketing was a role where you're just constantly broadcasting at people. You know that old traditional advertising approach where you're always telling people what they should think and feel and do. Whereas mm. I think for me, it was more around right. Okay, let's get marketing is just a way to start a conversation with your market and bring them into the conversation, get them to tell you what they want, get them to tell you what it is that they need. And it was kind of weird because that's how I fell into a sales role. And I was like, no, I'm not a salesperson. Don't be ridiculous. But it is kind of the same thing, I, I think anyway. And I think when sales and marketing work together to, you know, come together to, for that, that common cause and bring their customers into the conversation, then it's such a, a more powerful place to be. Sure. Yeah, Absolutely. It, it makes a difference how people connect in to an organization to the, and, and that, that level. So 
what we share is is who people um uh we are what we share so people think of us in terms of what we share with the world so what that means is is that if we wanted to create a new meaning behind what the perception of what other people think of us we need to share something different now there needs to be authenticity behind it or they're going to call call us on it but um but the point is is that when you're invited into a an experience like what you're describing and there's authenticity behind it and you're sharing it out because you're you are a part of this like you you co-created this experience and um by the simple fact that you're sharing it out it's adding also to your your brand it's telling people who you are and what you believe in and how you show up in the world so there's so many different levels of it that it goes it goes past marketing and almost combines public relations marketing communications and maybe even other things um into one thing it's the most um multi-layered uh, <clears throat> tactic around and it also it also connects people in it you know it connects people in to um um I guess the best word is intimacy. It creates way more intimacy than any other marketing, marketing, call it tactic, but a marketing initiative that, that we have. And intimacy is the ultimate way to create customers for life, as long as you have trust. And when you create that intimacy with them, that's usually the final stage. Intimacy isn't something that, you, I mean, you, you can't, unless you're really good, I never was on going out on a date and trying to create an, an immediate connection. It's usually like the second or the third stage where there's, you know, there's trust. And then there's, you know, um, the, now all of a sudden you're getting to know each other and then there's intimacy and the intimacy piece is usually the last piece to come. But if you can take that intimacy piece and start to uh, play with it, move it up and, and, and down and figure out how you're going to weave more intimacy with your customers in or more intimacy with your employees in um, or with your influencers. That's where you're going to see it show up more. That's where you're going to see them sharing more or buying into what it is that you're doing more because they feel so much more connected in. Definitely. And I love what you're saying. <laughs> the, the dating analogy is, is funny because it always comes up, doesn't it? We're always talking about um, dating when it comes to marketing, but it's so true. But it's, it's the same, you know, especially on the, like LinkedIn at the moment, especially with COVID. It's like all of a sudden people are like, right, I can't go out networking, throwing my business card at people. So instead, I'm going to just start hitting people on LinkedIn with my sales pitch without understanding like who they are, what they're doing or what's going on. I think I had quite a few people that like they didn't mean to, and I know this because I called them out on it, <laughs> tell me that my website was rubbish and that needed a full revamp. And I was like, crikey, like I get loads of compliments on my website and I know that I'm rebranding at the minute, but I, I don't quite think that that's, that's what's going to get me on board really. Um, and then when I did call them out on it, they were really apologetic, but it was that kind of, you know, very reactional approach. Like, right. Okay. What do I need to do? I need to go and pitch to people instantly because that's what I do in person networking. It's like, well, if it doesn't work in person, it's not going to work online. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. It's, it's exact what happens offline. It works exactly the same way online. Um, and if you, you know, we're living in a digital, the most digital world that we've ever lived in, cause we're just forced to all use zoom or something like it. And so it's almost become human to machine to human. 
and creating those connections has never been harder to reach through the screen and, and create that intimacy that, um, that we can create when we're in person. It's, it's a very different thing. And yet at the same time, uh, I think it has to do with what we talked about before with, with, um, with creating, uh, uh, your own plan, your own, um, approach to, uh, imperfection, simplicity, and empathy. And if you can, you can really be cognizant of those three things as you're doing any kind of activity and you look at each thing and you say, how are, how is this, what we're about to do falling into these three buckets? If it passes the test for all three, I guarantee you it will, will work almost as good, if not as good as an in-person experience. Definitely. And also the simpler, the simpler things are, the easier they are to remember. And the more you can create that human connection, the more people are going to want to remember it as well. So, you know, if you've got the empathy side of things, then somebody's going to work harder to remember what it is that you said. Whereas if you've got the simplistic, you're just making their life a lot easier. Yeah. Which, yeah. Yeah is uh, is brilliant so i'm definitely going to summarize all of this in the show notes for anybody listening trying to quickly write loads of notes and go right okay what was that again um it will all be summarized on my website and uh, just to recap because i know that we've been talking for quite a while now um do you have any kind of like passing words of wisdom or tips that people can go away and implement right away that you think will kind of give them the the quickest return let's say yeah sure well the thing that is happening now that um, this is more of a leadership tip than than marketing, but it's one that I think matters most now than anything else, and that's um, how we the con we are we are living in a digital realm right now that lacks context, and we don't know the person behind the screen as well as we know uh, new people behind uh, sitting in us in an, in an office or um, in a meeting that we would go have. When you're looking at other people right now, we have to be a little bit more forgiving in understanding that we don't know their context. And context right now is the thing that's lacking the most. We don't have context behind that person that reached out to you for um, developing your website, although that's kind of idiotic for them not to actually look at your website before they actually emailed you. So maybe that was a bad example. But um, and that is a bad side. That's the dark side. There's a light side and a dark side to everything, right? But the way that we look at everyone right now, I would say take a step back and make sure that you are giving everyone your context, that you are being transparent, that you're opening up, not closing down, that you're sharing more of, of what it's like inside your organization or what it's, what's going on inside your head. Because the more people have of the context behind you, the more they're going to want to connect with you. And so context is the key right now, more than anything else. We lack context. And, and the thing that you can do the most is give away more of it. People are going to empathize more if they understand actually what is going on with you. Yeah. Um, a really good example of that was um, I had a demo with a guy in New York. Um, and this was like when new york was kind of going through like a real tough time with covid and there's there's lots of stuff going on and um it was somebody that had set up the demo for me and anyway i'd logged on to zoom and he just didn't turn up and um the person that had introduced us was on the phone going oh like how how was your demo was it really good you know all of this and i was like well he, he didn't show up i hope he's okay because i think 
I'd been speaking to somebody in New York who was telling me about everything that was going on. So my first thought was like, is he okay? There must be some reason why he's not turned up because it's quite unusual for somebody just not to show up. Um, And she was really annoyed. She was like, I can't believe he's not showing up. I'm going to chase him up and see what's going on. Anyway, as it turned out, like a week later, we found out that this poor guy had COVID. And he was like sort of locked up in his basement with his wife kind of bringing him trays of food, trying to keep him away from the rest of the family. And it's just interesting how the more people you speak to, everybody jumps to conclusions straight away without necessarily understanding the context, as you said, um, and what's actually going on behind the scenes. Same with like kids kind of like barging in through doors and stuff. Like most people are having challenges one way or another from working from home. So the more they can understand what you're going through, the more they'll forgive the thing, the imperfections, as you say. Yeah. Yeah. You nailed it. That's exactly right. I mean, we just don't know what everybody's going through. Um, I would say the sec, the last piece to that is when you share your context or you start to listen more and hear others context, it goes both ways. Um, when you hear, hear more of that context now, it's time to, um, it's time to share, uh, and get in alignment with that person. So this, we, we don't do this often enough as, as human beings and get like, even with our, this works in your family, if you're with a spouse or with your kids or with anybody get, once you don't understand the, the context and you gain that context, that that's not finished. It's not complete. That's, that's where the work starts. Um, the next step is to gain alignment. So how are we now going to be in alignment over whatever it is that we just shared and understood about context? So the alignment piece is really what secures us and bonds us into what's next. How do we create what's next? What is What are we going to do with this now that we just learned the context? Um, and that might look like another discussion. It might look like another, like, here's what I believe. Here's what you believe. And now agreeing to agree or agreeing to disagree, but coming to a, a point of of, a, of agreement on something. Finding agreement is the hardest thing that we can do as humans, but we have to do it if we want to survive, if we want to get aligned and survive in our business or in our, and, and succeed beyond what we want. We've got to get in alignment uh, with our customer, uh, with our, with our potential customer and with our spouse, <laughs> you know, it, it works on every level. Definitely. And if anybody's listening to this thinking, right, okay, I just want to know more about all of this, then Brian has two fantastic books, one called Human to Human and the other one called Shareology. Dare I ask, do you have any other books in the pipeline or any future books that you're you're loving to write? Loving to write? Wanting to write? <laughs> I'm, I'm lovingly want to write um, and, and just at the very beginning stages of a third book. And I am um, looking at a, it's It's going to be more of a leadership book. And it's focused around how we can make smaller shifts that creates bigger change. Oh, I so love that. Pointed right now. Yeah. Have you, um, um, you probably won't have listened to it. Have you come across a guy called Paul Dunn before? I don't think so. He's an Australian. So I, he is um, one of the founders of B1G1 and he, I interviewed him on my podcast earlier and the whole episode is all around the power of small. So how you can make small changes that make, or small changes, small steps that make big impacts. So if anybody oh, listening hasn't l- listened to that yet, go and check that out. Now I got to go check him out. <laughs> yeah, he's a wonderful human being. And um, yeah, I think you would love speaking to him or listening to him. He's got a lot of a lot of amazing things to say. Um, cool. And so anybody listening that wants to check out Brian's books, I will link to them in the show notes. And um, 
if anybody wants to reach out to you or connect with you, how, how do they do that? Easy. Just go to briancramer.com, Brian with a Y, Kramer with a K, and they can connect there. Um, my social media is there. My newsletter is there. Um, and I, I reply back to everybody that actually hits reply to my newsletter because I wouldn't be the HGH guy if I didn't do that. And uh, let's see. Yeah, the, if you wanted to go check out the leadership conversation series that we're doing right now around COVID and how to be more connected and do a lot of what we were just talking about, then you can go to h2hgrowth.com. And that has all the uh, conversations that are coming up. We've got two more coming up and they're um, they're at different time zones, so people can come from all different time zones. Um, and then we, and then, um, I think that's the, that's the best way to get a part, get a hold of me. Yeah. BrianKramer.com or if you want to take a look, take a look at HH growth. Oh, also, um, if you go to BrianKramer.com forward slash personal brand quiz, that's where you can take the archetype, uh, assessment and it'll tell you exactly which one you are. Brilliant. You beat me to my next question. <laughs> yeah, I've had. Uh, over 30,000 people go through it and I've not had really anybody um, argue with me. So it's pretty accurate. Oh, well, there you go. Nice. So everybody needs to go and check out that link for sure. And I did have, oh, that was it. What was your, your primary social media platform of choice? I was intrigued. You know, uh, business wise, I would say that it's, um, I'm going to say Facebook groups because I have a Facebook group that has 3000 people in it. And I do most of my communication with, with people there. Um, I, I do love Twitter, but I, I, like you, I come in and out of love with Twitter. And so I, I love Twitter a lot. I really wish I knew LinkedIn better. That's a place where I need to improve for sure. And, um, and then Instagram is also a, a passion of mine, but it's more like a personal passion than a business passion. I just, I just love the platform. I'm a bit the same. I like I post on there. Sometimes I'm like, mm, is this a good business related post? But I'm like, I'm just posting because it's fun and I like the platform. <laughs> yeah. Although we met on LinkedIn because it was through LinkedIn that I right. um, contacted right. you. So it does work. <laughs> it does work. It does work. It's a, And like I said, it's a great place that I want to, I need to be, that should be my number one, right? Well, I think so. I think LinkedIn should be everybody's number one, but I'm slightly biased because that's a platform I specialize in. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, it was absolutely wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for spending your time with me. Uh, I really appreciate it. And I hope that um, I look forward to reading your third book. Thank you so, so much. I appreciate you doing this and great to meet you and great to meet everybody else out there. I hope you'll get in touch. Oh, thank you. When marketing isn't your primary focus or area of expertise, it can quickly become very overwhelming, frustrating, and end up at the top of your I'm avoiding this list. If you'd like to make your life easier and get results from your marketing, then I invite you to come and join us in the Curious Marketing Club, a virtual community full of support, guidance, and know-how. For details about the club and for the show notes from this episode, please visit my website, charliewyman.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn from other people who are being curious and doing amazing things, then please subscribe and keep listening. Thanks for joining us. See you next time.